Hey, basketball fans, it's your producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And before we get into the show, we just want to say thanks for your continual support of Around the Rim. While you're catching up on women's basketball, you definitely need to check out the new podcast, First Take, Her Take, with WNBA's own Chinea Gumake, alongside NFL reporter Kimberly Martin and ESPN's Charlie Arnold. Listen, we're going to be hearing the biggest topics in sports from them and more. And you can find it in the same places that you find around the rim. Now, on to the show. This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, Joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we are recording this on the day of our presidential inauguration. That's right. It has been an emotional day for sure. I am wearing my blessed t-shirt because it's feeling like a new era for us here in the United States. Tarika, I was in tears when I saw the Obamas. I was in tears before Kamala Harris even raised her hand to take her oath. Um, what a day, not to mention, shout out to Amy Klobuchar, who, um, little known WNBA fact was at our all-star party in Minnesota. So I've met her and also introduced her. So it was fun to see her kind of be the, the host of the day, but any thoughts from you on just what this day means? Yeah, I cried too. I had, I was super emotional as she was, you know, saying her, um, as she was being inaugurated. And I'm actually wearing purple and I'm wearing pearls and I'm wearing chucks. As most of you may know, she's a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so um, as one of my D9 sisters, we have all come together today to make today chucks and pearls day to commemorate her love of wanting to, you know, be comfortable in her chucks or her tins and um, her pearls as most sorority girls rock their pearls. So that's what we're doing today um, as members of um, the Black Greek organizations. We're rocking our chucks and pearls to commemorate her historic inauguration. And we're just excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible time. Obviously, Joe Biden um, was the vice president when Obama was the president and Kamala Harris has been just a rising star and um, is the first Black woman, I believe Black Asian woman first woman to be appointed to um, the vice president position. So history for a lot of reasons. Um, and we just wanted to set the stage with that, but in basketball, okay? Because um, there is a lot going on. We've got to turn the page. New number one, the Louisville Cardinals. WNBA free agency is still booming. By the way, Ramona Shelbourne wrote a piece on the Atlanta Dream. The team is possibly being sold, according to a WNBA spokesperson. You may want to check that out from Ramona. Um, the way that we have a new number one was because Stanford lost to an unranked Colorado Buffaloes team. And we happened to get some post-game sound from Coach Payne. Um, and after 
fucking payback from yeah! I mean, I can't imagine. I actually texted a couple of my friends after that game and asked them if they've ever beat a number one team. I, I, I can't even, yeah. And for it to be Stanford with the tradition and history that they have, I just, it's, that's incredible. So congratulations to Colorado, their entire program. Um, we are going to talk about a lot in today's show. First of all, the upsets coming off of this past weekend, in addition to Colorado, how about LSU beating Texas A&M? Um, A&M was ranked number seven in the country at the time. Overtime win for Nikki Fargus's team. Iowa State upset number six Baylor behind Ashley Jones. If you don't know that name, you better learn it because she is a baller. She went off in the fourth quarter of that one. Um, some other upsets, Alabama beat Mississippi State. Georgia beat Tennessee at Tennessee. We will get into a lot of SEC conversation later on as we have uh, Carolyn Peck and Courtney Lyle with us, SEC's finest, joining the pod today to give us the scoop. Uh, USC beat Washington State in overtime. Nebraska upset Ohio State. Nebraska's a team to keep your eyes on. They have been hot as of late. I actually put them in my AP poll Texas Tech beat uh, number 21. Arizona did beat Oregon. Wasn't much of an upset, but you get the point. It's that time of year. So women's basketball is hot and heavy. We will also discuss on this show Kim Mulkey's comments. If you did not hear after that loss to Iowa State, she had some interesting things to say about COVID in the NCAA. Vanderbilt announced on Monday that they are ending their season. We will get some scoop from Carolyn Peck and Courtney Lyle on that and what that means for the Vanderbilt Commodores program. And then you know what time it is, UConn in Tennessee. That's right. This Thursday, 7 o'clock ESPN, the best rivalry in the history of college women's basketball as the UConn Huskies visit Knoxville. Eight championships for the University of Tennessee Lady Vols, 11 for UConn, um, the two most successful programs by far in the history of college women's basketball, 19 NCAA semifinals appearances for uh, Connecticut, 18 for Tennessee. And of course, you know, that just this week, congratulations to coach Gino Oriema, who moved up another notch on the all-time wins list for women's college basketball, passing Pat Summit. Um, and number two to Tara Vanderbilt who took over that number one spot earlier this year. And we are bringing on a special guest to talk about that big matchup between UConn and Tennessee. Hartford Current's own Alexa Philippou will join us. So, Tariqa, we got a full show, a lot to get to. Also, we want to mention We Back Pat Week. You know how important Pat Summit is to the sport of women's basketball. And we encourage everyone to visit the Pat Summit foundation uh, website because they are doing a special partnership with Kendra Scott where uh, they are offering a beautiful amethyst piece of jewelry not offering for free but if you purchase it 20% of the proceeds go to the Pat Summit Foundation Um, this year Tarika and I just want to really make a push to everyone putting their money uh, where it really matters and that is the fight against Alzheimer's so if you have a chance to visit please go to the Pat Summit Foundation website and join in the fight in memory of Pat Summit. And with that, we're going to get into the podcast. 
Okay, basketball fans. Well, um, I don't know what we've done to deserve this because Tariq and I haven't been living right so far in 2021. So it can't be our time for any type of favor. But we do have uh, the SEC's finest and one of our best national crews in women's basketball joining us to talk a little bit about the SEC. And that is none other than uh, women's basketball champion head coach from her days at Purdue, uh, Carolyn Peck, and also Courtney Lyle, one of the few women play-by-plays that we have, period, um, but has does basketball, also did football. Did I say you did your first football game, Courtney? What's up? Yeah, absolutely. What was that Thank like? You. It was great. It was a great experience. Um, it was great to, to finally be there, and I'll tell you, I had so much fun prepping for that. Well, you're a trailblazer and we just love what you do for women's basketball. Both of you, we love listening to you. So let's jump into the SEC because I know this is where you spend a bulk of your time. Um, and then we're going to circle around, back around to some, some, some big picture stuff. But I want to start with what in the world is happening in Athens, Georgia? I mean, I don't know if coming into the season, anyone could have predicted what Jody Taylor has done, but obviously you go to Knoxville and you knock off Tennessee for the first time in um, forever. Uh, people are going to take note. What is happening with that team? Is it a new piece? Is it returners that has allowed them to have success? CP, I'll start with you. Well, China, I'll tell you what's happening is Q Morrison is healthy. And when Q is healthy, she, she is so infectious for the rest of the team. Number one, she plays with the love of the game. She brings great energy on the court. Uh, Joni Taylor said she is the best on-ball defender in the SEC. And now her offense is starting to flow and she's making shots. And she was huge in that comeback against Tennessee. But I think having a healthy uh, Q Morrison and the depth that Joni has put together with that team has really given them a versatility on the way that they, they can play. They're always going to bring the defense. As Joni says, defense travels. But now offensively, she can mix things up. Yeah, I was impressed with their poise down the stretch of that Tennessee game in particular. And I had watched them a couple times this season, but um, that was a nail biter. I think y'all called that game, right? We did. Yes. Um, it's sorry about that, Courtney. I know you're, you're a Knoxville girl. So um, <laughs> it, was, it was a nail biter watching that one down the stretch. And I just thought the poise, not only that Joni displayed, you know, I'm watching every huddle and what everything that's happening, but their team to pull it out. And we know environments are what they're, they're, they usually are, right? So this isn't Knoxville that would have been all ablaze with, with all of their fans um, in the stands. But Courtney, what stood out to you about that win or just Georgia in general? Well, I think it's what Peck said. Their depth really stood out in that game because who would have known? Joni Taylor told us just a couple of days ago as we talked to her to get ready for their next game that she didn't know Jenna Sady wasn't gonna, was only going to come in once for a few seconds in the second half. I mean, nobody could have predicted that at halftime. But you had players like Maury Davenport, who has transferred in from Rutgers. This is supposed to be a year when Joni and her have decided that they're going to develop her, that maybe she won't play every game. She comes in and plays most of the second half and has a huge impact along with Mallory Bates. So that depth is huge for Georgia. That's one of the main reasons they pulled out that win against Tennessee. And it's somebody different every game. We saw Sarah Ashley Barker 
step up in Georgia's last game. And then she got SEC freshman of the week. So it's just having all those pieces and knowing that no matter who it is, somebody's going to step up and you're always going to get the stuff from Q Morrison and Gabby Connolly. So that's constant and that's good. Yeah, they, uh, against Ole Miss most recently, they found balance to your point with the depth. At least six players scored eight points. It was 73 to 57, and Ole Miss is, is having a, a better season this year. Um, but the big test is coming up, and you guys will be calling Georgia's bout with uh, South Carolina coming up on Thursday. Do they have a shot? I mean, and, and the Gamecocks look great. Listen, we aren't even going to talk a lot about South Carolina. We did that on our last podcast. We know what they have coming. And, and it seems like they have really been stepping up to the plate on the national stage as of recent, the way they have beaten teams, uh, the way that Aaliyah Boston is playing. But does Georgia have a shot, Carolyn, um, at, at pulling a big upset? Latina, I think it's going to depend on how the postgame for Georgia plays. Uh, because they got to deal with, and I call her big baby, Aaliyah Boston inside. And that's not just on the block. I mean, she has expanded her game. She's shooting a three mid range. She's a monster on the glass. All right. So now how is Georgia going to either Jenna Stady, Mallory Bates, Javin Nicholson, or Maury Davenport of those four, can they bring a solid post game? Because that's where South Carolina likes to get their points from, is in the paint. So Georgia's going to have to really shut some things down. And we know in the SEC, you kind of got to pick your poison. You go, okay, I've got it. I'm not going to stop everything. I'm going to have to give up something. And you would have thought coming into this game that Georgia might think, I'm going to pack the paint. I'm going to make Bree Bill shoot the ball. Well, have you seen her stats in the last two games? That's not an option anymore either. So 19 points per game. Hey, there you go. So that's where, you know, Georgia is going to have to, number one, rebound with South Carolina. And that's a tall task. And then you've got to control the tempo and then score against their, their stingy defense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a lot to take on. Go ahead, Courtney. I think it's going to be a big test for Jenna Stady because we've seen her against a big inside presence of Tennessee. It didn't go that well. So now you're going to go face an inside presence of Aaliyah Boston, who's better than Tennessee's posts. So what can Jenna Stady do? Can she step up to the challenge? That's a big question for Georgia. And I know that CP is always talking about the battle in the paint. She loves it inside, but to your point, I mean, I don't know if I've seen two more impressive performances against um, ranked teams this season as we've seen uh, South Carolina, both against number 15 Arkansas and beating Kentucky at Kentucky pretty, pretty handily. Uh, Destiny Henderson is the player that has really stood out to me with her speed and her fearlessness uh, and how she plays the game, attacks the rim. I mean, I Coming into the season, everyone said, okay, South Carolina is going to be number one. But we knew that they were missing some pretty important uh, WNBA first-round draft picks from last year. So um, you don't just come back missing Ty Harris, missing Kiki, and morph into exactly who you were. So I think it took them some time to get into a flow. But um, I'll be curious to see what happens in that contest. Now, elsewhere in the SEC, LSU really turned some heads taking down Texas A&M, which um, I, I caught the last few minutes of that game. I thought Pointer made some really um, key both defensive and offensive stops. 
Uh, that was LSU's third straight win over Texas A&M. So they kind of have their number a little bit, though to me, this is the best Texas A&M team I've seen in recent years. Um, and LSU held them to 61 points, Texas A&M's lowest, second lowest point total of the season. Their lowest was against Rice, who I had in my top 25 for a little while. Um, and Courtney, you think this is the LSU team that could make some noise? Look, LSU makes you play ugly. And that's, that's a direct quote from Tennessee head coach Kelly Harper. I mean, they are a defensive team. They come in, they take the air out of the basketball. We saw that. We had them against Missouri on Monday. We saw them take control of that game that way. So I think that gives LSU a fighting chance in any game. What most impressed me about the Texas A&M win was that they out-rebounded Texas A&M. We're talking about a team who has Sierra Johnson and India Jones, who is one of the best rebounders I have ever watched. And they got out-rebounded by LSU. That was the thing that was most impressive to me. Yeah, India Jones reminds me of a tall Armenti Price. I don't know about you, Carolyn, but she's got that kind of athleticism, but just in a bigger body. And the energy. Um, yes, and the energy as well. Any concern, or did you see anything happening with LSU there, uh, CP, that they need to address moving forward? Excuse me, Texas A&M. Well, taking care of the basketball and uh, turnovers was a big issue in that game. And you've got to look at, you've got to compliment Nikki Fargus. Um, she finds a way to defend you. And more times than not, she is keeping her opponents below their season average. And one is because, as Courtney said, taking the air out of the ball, but her defensive strategy that she uses, because she will play a matchup zone there will be times that she may switch within a possession going from zone to man-to-man. -man. And then offensively, she, you, a lot of teams spend a lot of time with their scouting report trying to figure out what is LSU running? You know what LSU's running? They're finding mismatches and isolations. They're just running things to get who they want, guarding a particular player, and then they take advantage of that. And now... The roles are being defined for LSU. Early on, they lost games because it was a free-for-all. Everybody was pulling the trigger. Now they understand where the basketball needs to get. Well, Look, there's not a team in the SEC that wants to play LSU, LaChina. There's not a team that wants to play LSU. Hey, they're going to muck it up. And as to Carolyn's point, when you start changing those defenses, I saw this yesterday with Syracuse. We thought they were going to play zone most of the game. They ended up playing man, totally messed up North Carolina's whole mindset. They didn't know what defense they were in. They didn't run their offense long enough to figure it out. That can be a scary place to be. And we also may see the Louisville Cardinals do a little bit of that too. <clears throat> on Thursday night on ESPN too, because that's one thing that Jeff Walls likes to do is mix up those defenses. But um, LSU has South Carolina and Georgia coming up next. Cause I, so I have a feeling that we'll find out a lot about the Tigers. Last but not least, as we are talking about some of the emerging teams in the SEC, uh, like China Robinson here with Carolyn Peck and Courtney Lyle, Mississippi State is having some trouble. They've averaged 60 points per game and shot 38% from the field in their two recent losses to Alabama and Texas A&M. Their 41 points in the loss to A&M was their lowest point total since March 2016. Um, and their 27% field goal percentage against A&M was their lowest since January 2014. Now, those numbers are deceiving because we have a new head coach, different players, all the above. Is there reason to be concerned in, in Starkville? 
I don't think there's a reason to be concerned. I think that, like you said, having a new coach, Nikki, Nikki uh, McCray Pinson is her first year coaching as the head coach in the SEC, but she's not new to the SEC because she was an assistant at South Carolina. And if there's anything you have to do in the SEC to be successful is you've got to rebound the basketball. And Mississippi State has got to make that a priority. When you have Jessica Carter and Sydney Cooks and Rakia Jackson and you're getting out rebounded, that's a problem. And in talking to Nikki and she talked, I asked her what was the problem with rebounding? And she said, a lot of times it has to do with their defense and they're getting rotated. But after you rotate, you got to go check and find somebody out. You're not going to, in the SEC, you're not going to outleap people. So you've got to make some contact. This is a physical league. And so you've got to win that battle in order to win the war on the boards. You've got to get that physical contact and make sure that you're coming up with rebounds. When they correct that, because they've got scores, they'll get back into this competitive league. Courtney, anything on uh, Mississippi State? Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to note too that while they're still running this dribble drive, it's a bit it's a little bit different than what Vic Schaefer ran there at Mississippi State. So you've got point guards, you've got all the all the players on the roster, even though they have three returning starters, are learning something different, and it doesn't help that there's been COVID limitations, games canceled, practice time is limited. That does not help at all. So I think that's got to be another factor when you look at Mississippi State. Yeah, I was disappointed when I went to Twitter to see some of the Mississippi State fans just really laying into uh, the program and Nikki. And I'm like, listen, pump your brakes. First of all, there's a lot going on this season. Right. Let them get in here. I know you're used to having success, but let's not – get on the high horse of this is not who we are. It takes time. And um, hopefully the fans do understand that what Vic Schaefer built there did not happen overnight. And there is still a framework for success and some great players, but it's going to take a minute. So Bulldog fans, since I have most of y'all blocked anyway, I'm just going to tell you to chill out. (laughs) Okay. Um, So to recap in the SEC, South Carolina is in first place right now, 5-0. Don't forget, Aaliyah Boston had 26 points, 16 rebounds, 6 blocks in their recent win over Arkansas. Third SEC player to have those stats. The other two, Candace Parker and the Sylvia Fowles. In second place, Texas A&M, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, Kentucky. I mean, I had to go that far down to get to Kentucky, um, but we all know that uh, when you have Ryan Howard, um, and depending on how your schedule goes, they'll be right back at the top somewhere very soon. And then Mississippi State, Arkansas is two and four, which may be surprising to some, again, depending on your schedule. Um, Missouri, Ole Miss, Florida, Vanderbilt, Auburn, in that order. Before we get to Vanderbilt, who announced that they will be ending their season, just quick weigh-in from both of you guys on Tennessee. What is good about this team that could um, get them a win over UConn on Thursday night? Well, watching them play against Arkansas was the most disciplined I have seen Tennessee play. And when I say discipline, it was the ball movement, finding the best shots and getting the ball in the paint, making the defense have to shift and then going inside. The other thing is that the post players, especially Cassie Kishkatawa, she played like she wanted the ball. And when you watch a post player, you can tell when she really wants the ball, if she does her work early, 
And that's what Cassie did in that game. That's what she's going to have to do against Connecticut, especially going against uh, Nelson Adota inside. If you can get her into some foul trouble and attack the paint, I think that that would be beneficial to Tennessee. And Tennessee's got great length, right? And so with that length, you've got Jordan Horston, who's one of their better uh, guards, on-ball defenders. You've got Renaya Davis and Ray Burrell, who brings great hustle on the perimeter. So now can you uh, defend Connecticut and then get out and run? It's going to be important that you take care of the ball because if you don't, that is just dangling the cheese of the rat because Connecticut takes off. Yeah, that's when they're really special. Um, Courtney, for you, curious about Renaya Davis because she is on every WNBA scouts list. Um, you know, people think she could go as high as number one, even just because of her sheer talent, athleticism, versatility. How big is Thursday's game and, and what does she have to do um, on that stage, not only to get a win, but to maybe prove uh, who she could be at the next level of her career? Yeah, I think Vernia Davis is the X factor for Tennessee on Thursday against UConn because the problem that Vernia Davis has had is consistency. Sometimes we get eight points from Vernia Davis. Sometimes she goes off for 30 plus points. The good news is for Tennessee, usually that happens in big games and this is a huge game. Um, so I've got to see that consistency, but it's, it's not just got to be Connecticut. It's got to be the next game and the next game. Sometimes we watched her play against Arkansas. That was the Renaya Davis they've got to have against UConn, but she's got to keep that going consistently. Consistently, She's a phenomenal player, and we've seen glimpses of it. I just want to see it every game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And that's sometimes the challenge is that consistency. I mean, when I watch her, when I watch Ryan Howard, sometimes I get frustrated with Ryan because I'm like, Ryan, cut hard to get the ball because she's so chill. But then she's about to hang 40 on you, right? She just makes it look easy. But um, you talk about that and Ryan Howard, I get frustrated too. But you know who else I got frustrated with? Shamiqua Hall's claw. But you know what? <laughs> she was getting it done when that popcorn turned out okay popping. when that popcorn starts popping right that's what <laughs> but she reminds me so much of Shamiko. okay just really quickly we don't want to hold you guys too long um announcement came out of Vanderbilt that they have decided the women's basketball program decided to um to not continue their season the word from Candace Lee now this is Vanderbilt's vice chancellor for athletics and university affairs and athletic director said we fully support and respect the decision of our student athletes their health, safety, and well-being have always been and will continue to be a top priority. Stephanie White said, as a staff, we have and always will, this is head coach for those of you that don't know, always will prioritize the health and safety of our student athletes. So it sounds like this is a decision that comes from the players. Um, comments from, from either one of you, CP, obviously you know a lot about Vanderbilt. Uh, thoughts on them deciding to uh, cut the season? Uh, well, they had... Akira Levy, who wasn't going to be back this year, Autumn Newby opted out. They've had some injury issues. Then they were hit with COVID. So then when the, the, um, your numbers get below and you start that stop and start and stop and start, it can be frustrating. And uh, I think that that can wear on the mental health of players. Um, I think if my feeling is if there's a possibility to play and you have the environment where your players are enjoying playing, then you keep playing. You stay in it regardless of what your record is. 
because this game doesn't count. I mean, this season doesn't count. Your eligibility doesn't count. And at least you're getting experience. Here's the other thing. When it comes to COVID, I feel like these student athletes are in a safer environment with their teams in the fact that they're being tested at least three times a week. And they are having to follow the guidelines that are put in place by the medical staff and the athletic staff that they're dealing with. If they go home, they're free to make those decisions of what they should and, should and shouldn't do on their own. And I think that they would be um, more vulnerable. And you could be isolated. You don't know what their home life is, of who's there. Do they have brothers, sisters, or are they the only young person there? At least they can be around their team. I guess I look at the silver lining of the opportunity to be around your team. And that's where, even if you're not playing, you should be practicing or just keep them healthy and keeping them together. Yeah, that's one of the questions I had was whether or not some of these teams, cause I actually asked this question when Duke decided to end their season, I was like, will they still be practicing? Um, you know, because let's be honest, you know, there's a lot going on on campus. Who knows if the athletic department wants to continue to pay for testing and everything else they have to do if they're not going to be competing. So I'm sure there's different levels of commitment and, and from that standpoint, but I think there's a huge advantage, especially for some of these younger teams, or if you have, you have pieces you're trying to get chemistry, like you're going to be missing out on some valuable time to gel and be behind next season. And not to me, not to say that that's more important than the health and safety and mental health of your student athletes, but it is something to think about as far as what are your options moving forward. Courtney, I'm gonna turn this to you, but I wanna also mention um, just in the bigger picture of things, you know, Kim Mulkey made some comments um, after their loss to, I believe it was Iowa State, um, where she talked about the NCAA, this is a quote, has to have the almighty dollar from the men's tournament. The almighty dollar is more important than the health and welfare of me, the players, or anyone else. Now, this was after she was asked a question about whether or not the season will continue. Um, and then she went on to say she, everybody's confused, I'm confused, I'm uncom uncomfortable coaching. And, you know, to, to Carolyn's point, um, you know, she's saying if the players want to play, then everybody else should look, get on board. You know, if the players are good, which would mean the coaches. Now, Kim Mulkey did um, contract COVID. She's better now, thank goodness. But um, is this a tough decision for the coaches, Courtney, because they want to do what the kids want to do, but also may have their own concerns about health and safety? Sure. I think the bottom line is if you're uncomfortable in any situation, whether it's playing basketball this season, whether it's something off the court, you should take yourself out of that situation. If you are truly uncomfortable, get out of that situation. And everybody, I believe, has had the opportunity to opt out of the season individually, even if your whole team does not. We saw it in the WNBA as well. We've seen it in other leagues professionally. Um, if you're uncomfortable, take yourself out of that situation. But again, I go back to what Carolyn said. I do, I do agree that you're safer being with your team, having that pressure on you to not be the one to test positive and shut your team down as opposed to going home. Now, I don't have a problem with anybody opting out of the season. If you're uncomfortable and that's the path that you think is best for you, that's great. But I do think there is some, there can be some safety there for being with your team, being tested, having the pressure to not go to the party, to not go hang out with your friends outside the bubble. Um, that is a benefit of being with your team. 
Yeah, and you make a, a great point about the accountability of it, right? Like, okay, well, we're all together and we know we're doing something as a team, then I'm probably less likely to put myself in a dangerous situation because it's almost like not touching the line on a sprint. Like, if you don't touch that line, okay, everybody's running again and no one wants that on them. So they're holding behind to get from one line to the next. So I, I definitely get that, understand that. And um, it, it's tough though, you know, and I think we're living in unprecedented time. I just say teams should do whatever's best for them, you know, but I, I do understand. And, and let me tell you, there have been some coaches out here taking cheap shots at other programs that are, that are, that are shutting down their season. Like if you had a chance to win, you might not be. And I'm like, come on y'all. You don't know what's going on in these programs. Like it has gotten ugly out here, but Anyway, um, you know, we send our thoughts and prayers to Vanderbilt and, and their players and their program. And hopefully whatever experience they have over the next few months is, is a great one. Courtney, Carolyn, you guys have been awesome. We can't wait to hear you on Thursday night for Georgia versus South Carolina. Again, thank you for your excellence and what you guys do and for joining us on the Round the Rim. We appreciate you. Thank Thanks you, China. Thanks for coming on. All right, basketball fans, you should already know what Thursday night is, but in case you have not heard, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN, the number three Yukon Huskies taking on the number 25 Tennessee Lady Vols in Knoxville, a place where they have not played in 15 years. The biggest and best rivalry in the history of college women's basketball. Why? Because these are the best programs in the sports history. UConn with 11 national championships, Tennessee Lady Vols with eight. You can't help but to think about the memory of the late great Pat Summit. The program is now headed up by Kelly Harper, formerly Kelly Jolly, who played there. Gino Oriema just passed Pat Summit on the all-time wins list, so he's now number two behind Tara Vanderveer. And if you did not hear the Tennessee side of this game, you might want to check out on our podcast the breakdown from Carolyn Peck and Courtney Lyle. But to help us break down the UConn side of Thursday night's major matchup, please join me in welcoming Alexa Philippou of the Hartford Current. Welcome, Alexa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, LaChina. Yes, and we're going to make sure we share all of your information before we are done talking because we want fans to be able to follow you. You are not just on top of everything with Connecticut, but women's basketball, WNBA. You are you have jumped two feet in into the women's college and WNBA world, and we appreciate you. So uh, we'll get to your details in a moment. But Thursday night is huge, and no one probably has more of a pulse on how UConn is approaching this game than you. So let's first start with last night, Connecticut plays Butler. They start out and I'm like, okay, well, you know how it's going well. And then before you, you blink an eye, they win 103 to 35. Now Butler is one and nine on the season and has uh, terrible injuries uh, across the board, but Connecticut's now eight and oh, Aubrey Griffin had her first career start and made the most of it with 17 points and 10 rebounds. What's the overall feel and confidence of the team right now? Well, it's been very, uh, disjointed recently because UConn has had to deal with a lot of game postponements. They had the cancellation of the Baylor game. So this was actually their first game. And I think it was 10 days. And today 
we're stuck in practice for a while. And Gino always says, you don't really learn anything about your team in practice. You got to get them in games. So you did see actually at first that it took a little bit of them to get the rust off. And then again, all of a sudden they were up by 50 with like 10 minutes to play. But I think it's, it's still really exciting that um, the team just wants to be able to play games. They want to be able to play these non-conference opponents that they, you know, for context, this is really their second non-conference game of the season. Their first was against UMass Lowell. So Tennessee, number 25 in the country, UMass Lowell, <laughs> can't quite compare. So they just want to get down uh, to Knoxville to play in a really high stakes, high profile game on ESPN, a true road test with fans too. They haven't really had that many fans at these games at UConn. There's really just, you know, friends and family, the program. So I think as much as, you know, for the younger members of the team, or even really the team as a whole, because they are so young, they might not necessarily feel that rivalry as much as maybe those outsiders who grew up watching the Pat and Gina battles. But um, for them, they're very excited for this big top 20, 25 matchup and to really get a litmus test to see how they are against some of the better teams and a non-conference opponent in the SEC, which we all know is, is stacked this year. Yeah, litmus test is a good way to put it. The other thing about the uh, the other night, I mean – 18 points from Olivia Nelson Adota. Paige Beckers had 13 points, eight assists. Kristen Williams, 17. We mentioned Aubrey Griffin with her 17 points, 10 rebounds. Avina Westbrook had 14. Very balanced. My question for you is I mean, he's expecting a lot from this core group. Is there anyone else that you think may be of significance um, or may play a significant part in Thursday's matchup? Right. And so by core group, I think the way he sees it as um, those four, um, I guess the four starters that we've seen the whole season. So that's page backers, freshman um, point guard that I'm sure a lot of people have seen or are aware of. And then also his junior core of Avina Westbrook, as you said, Kristen Williams, Olivia Nelson, Adota. So that fifth spot um, of the starting lineup has kind of been up for grabs on a Makarot, was there for a while, but hasn't really found her groove. And then Aubrey Griffin, as you mentioned, she got her first career start uh, yesterday. And so I'm, for this matchup specifically, I'm really interested to see how Aubrey does because she couldn't really find her footing. It was really more just an inconsistent play um, at the beginning of the season. But her last two games have probably been, maybe you could argue the best two games of her career. Um, she had 18 and nine. Um, the last game against Providence, apparently in practice, she's really... Um, you can see that improvement. You can see that growth and that confidence. And then obviously she comes out against Butler. She drops 18 or 17 and 10. And so she also had a great game against Tennessee last year. Uh, she was the difference maker. That's what I think uh, Kelly Harper and Gino said when she came off the bench. So we know already based off of last year, that's a good matchup for her. The other player I'm really interested to see, and she didn't really stand out against Butler as much was Aaliyah Edwards, because she is basically the other true big that UConn has besides Olivia Nelson Nadota. She's a freshman from Canada, has experience playing on the Canadian national team. Um, she is super athletic and strong, and she I love to watch. She probably gets like at least one offensive foul called against her because she's just so physical down there like one a game I mean she's just so physical down in the post and I think against a team with height and size like Tennessee that's going to be really important for her to um, come in there and be able to contribute on both ends defensively and offensively so we'll have to see how much she plays her she averages I think around 17 minutes per game 
but maybe if she's doing well, he keeps her in there longer. So those two, Aubrey and Aaliyah, would be the ones I'm really inter- interested to see with this matchup specifically. I'm glad you brought up Aaliyah Edwards because I was kicking myself for not bringing her up when you and I talked on your podcast. By the way, if you guys have not checked out, um, Alexa does host the Hartford Current podcast. Um, I was on an episode with her, which was not memorable. So you can skip over that one. Um, but definitely check her out with that along the way. But I'm glad you mentioned Aaliyah Edwards because to me, she is vintage Yukon. When she gets on the floor, She's not thinking, she doesn't look hesitant, she's aggressive, she's very athletic. I love the way she plays. And against a Tennessee team that can put a lot of size out on the floor, I really, and what I, what I mean by size is length, I'm curious to see how much of a difference maker she can be in a matchup like that. So in looking at this Tennessee game in particular, with everything that just happened with, you know, Gino with the record, that out the way, you know, all these different um, kind of moments coming up along the way, along the journey, what has the feel and conversation been like around Thursday's matchup? How is Gino approaching this? How does the team seem to be approaching this? So Gino and the team, it's two completely different, I guess, mindsets. Um, the team, again, they are so young. I think, you know, people were asking Paige Beckers yesterday, really, if she understood what the rivalry was about. And she knows just because it is such a huge part of women's basketball history. But to her, which is actually funny because it was similar to me, she grew up watching more UConn Notre Dame. So that, you know, it doesn't have the same kind of emotional attachment, um, at least among the players. Again, I think they want to have that top 25 road test in front of a you know, a decent sized crowd really get challenged that way. I will say, and we, we, we can maybe talk about this more in depth later, their current teammate, Avina Westbrook, was a transfer from Tennessee. There are some hard feelings, maybe more or less, um, that kind of went down when she transferred. So I do probably think they'll be extra motivated um, to kind of get the win for her. For Gino, it's a completely different story. He obviously, we've been talking about Pat and about Tennessee with the milestone that he, you know, obviously passed yesterday of her um, 1,098 wins. But, you know, I think he likes the matchup, but he even said this last year when they played that it's really not what it used to be. And I don't think that's a slight necessarily to Tennessee. I just think that's, you know, the reality he was talking about yesterday too, what Kelly Harper has done with the program. And he actually was very complimentary of her that he thinks that she's done a tremendous job, that they're on the right track, but it does take a little bit of time, especially given that they went from Pat to Holly Warlick to, to Kelly Harper. There was a lot of change and a lot of shifting. So it might take a little bit of time for maybe Tennessee to return to what they were for so long if or close to that. So um, as much as I think, you know, maybe it isn't quite there either too, because how much of UConn Tennessee was, UConn Tennessee versus Pat and Gino. That's maybe a discussion for another time, but he did seem pretty excited to, to go back to Knoxville and, you know, they're doing this for, there's a charitable component to support the Pat Summit Foundation. So that'll be good. And someone asked him what kind of reception he was expecting. And he kind of made a joke that he hopes the Tennessee fans go easy on him. And um, it's not like the past years where, you know, he could bring a team down there and he would be super confident they could walk away with the win and then, you know, you know, beat them like very handedly. So he's like, maybe they can go easy on me a little bit. So I'm really curious to see once they actually get down there, um, even though there's a lot that's changed, how much actually kind of comes back for him emotionally and um, nostalgically as he kind of reflects on how much has changed since 2006, I think, which is the last time that they played there. 
I don't know if Tennessee, excuse me, if, if Connecticut has ever come into this matchup having not really, and they did play DePaul, right? Yeah, right. Um, so that would have been a ranked opponent. So we definitely don't want to forget about the Blue Demons. A lot of respect for that program. But um, this is a different level. And normally, you got to give credit to Gino. This is why I gave Connecticut the benefit of the doubt when it came to AP voting is he tries to schedule hard every year. He always does. He wants to test his team. And so the fact that they haven't played um, you know, a, a tougher schedule to this point, I'm sure is a concern coming in. And again, I just don't know if they have ever come in, um, you know, maybe this, um, I'm not going to say not prepared, but proven. That's the word. <laughs> They're not quite <laughs> proven. And you mentioned the Avina Westbrook story. And, and yes, I was going to get around to that. But for people that do not know, Westbrook did play um, on the old regime under Holly Warlick. And um, she basically made some comments after the Vols' first round exit out of the NCAA tournament. Um, this was obviously prior to her um, transferring out and going to Connecticut. But she said, we got, some, we got to fix some stuff. And she also said, um, with our staff. So she basically pointed directly to the staff at Tennessee saying there were some things that needed to be fixed there. Um, and, you know, she made some, some other comments, like, I just think off the court stuff, steps need to be taken um, with our staff and just overall off the court with this team. And so she just, they were seen, seemed controversial because most players don't say anything about the, the coaching staff in a post game like that. But I actually, you know, I understand not only the frustration, but the honesty, quite frankly, and her being young and maybe not understanding how she should best handle or express herself in that moment. But then also we have, you know, social media where these young people are encouraged to express and share their feelings. Um, before we let you go, I'm just curious with Westbrook, what you've seen from her with her returning from her injury sitting out last year. I know she left at one moment yesterday during the game to go get on the bike. Is she, is she feeling good? Do you think she's emotionally and physically ready for what she may face on Thursday night? Right. So, so interesting, this whole saga, which obviously last year her transfer waiver was denied and there was a whole back and forth between UConn and Tennessee. And we as media didn't actually get to talk with her. I think maybe once before the waiver was denied, but um, we just didn't really know what to expect of her. We hadn't seen her play. I mean, obviously this year we didn't even see her practice because no one's at practice like we usually are. And so I just think this all of kind of UConn was just had this, had this whole question mark around who Avina Westbrook was, but from, I will say just, and I don't know necessarily what happened at Tennessee, like what she dealt with or what was going on there. But from the moment we first talked with her on like August 1st with the media, um, was blown away by how mature she was, by how much she really took her leadership role seriously with the team. Cause she's, they call her the grandma. She's the oldest member of the team. She has a lot of aches and pains, hence the, the grandma name, um, obviously coming off the, of her knee surgeries. Um, but the way that she talked about her leadership role and the other, especially the younger kids, cause UConn has six, now seven freshmen, cause they have an early enrollee. They talked about her it really just stood, stood out to me. Even Gina too was saying how she did everything that he could have asked for her to do. She stayed on campus during the pandemic to rehab, completed her rehab, had been a great leader and really just was such a positive force on the team. And so far in games, I think, you know, we've seen that it just took her a little bit to 
you know, basketball wise, get going physically, but she scored, I think double figures in the last five games. Um, she had a really good night yesterday. She was six for seven from the field and her only miss was in the fourth quarter. Um, and she just contributes in so many different ways when she is, um, doing well. Now her knee issues, I think those are going to be nagging probably for the rest of her career. And, um, you know, we do see moments where maybe she gets a little banged up and has to go off the court, but between her, not just her ability to get to the rim, but her rebounding, she can, she's a good facilitator, her defense, she's really a spark on them, uh, for the team defensively, her impact is huge. And I think that is going to be such a huge factor for UConn going down the stretch. And, you know, Paige Becker said a few weeks ago too, that she felt that Avina was the heart and soul of the team. So that just really goes to show, you know, how much she's important to the squad. And, um, she was playing everything very, um, kind of political when people asked her about things like with Tennessee that, um, you know, she didn't really, someone, apparently there might've been something that Renaya Davis said, I don't, I don't know exactly. This is, I'm quoting someone who asked the question, like someone asked Renaya Davis about Avina and apparently Renaya Davis laughed and Avina just kind of tried to brush it off and didn't want to start anything. So I think that probably was good, mature response to not maybe kind of get into that, but we'll see what, what happens when she gets to Knoxville and, um, you know, she's actually down there where she started her college career. We love a little drama heading into a big matchup and we appreciate all of the storylines and the preview from Alexa. Thank you so much for joining us again, fans. That is Thursday night, ESPN, 7 PM, number three, UConn against number 25, Tennessee. Alexa, where can fans follow you for the breaking news? Tell them where they can find you Twitter or elsewhere. Sure. On Twitter, I'm at Alexa Philippou. It's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-O-U. Um, and then the current, um, you can read my Yukon and Sun coverage at uh, C-O-U-R-A-N-T dot com. And hopefully you subscribe or just check our check our stories out. Just skip the podcast with LaChina. She didn't know she didn't know anything about UConn. Alexa knew more about the team than I did. So just make sure when you go listen to it, skip my episode. Alexa, we have had so much fun. Thank you. We will be watching, especially your feed on Thursday uh, during the game, but at all times to keep up with women's hoops. We we thank you for your time. Thank you, LaChina. And thank you for everything that you do as well. Well, all right, basketball fans, we are at the end of our show this week, and we most certainly hope that you have enjoyed every minute of it. Thanks once again to our guests, Courtney Lyle, Carolyn Peck, and Alexa Philippou for joining us. Please make sure you are continuing to follow Around the Rim all over social media, specifically Twitter, where LaChina is at LaChina Robinson. I'm at Sports underscore. You can follow the podcast at Around the Rim Pod. You can also send us an email at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. We love reading your messages, your emails with your thoughts, your comments, even suggestions, concerns, all of that. We love to hear from you. Rate, subscribe on Apple if you're listening via the Apple platform. We love seeing your reviews. Um, everything that you guys do just to continue to show us that you love us and that you love what we're doing here. We, we just love hearing from the fans. You guys make us go. Um, continue to look forward to a great weekend of packed women's basketball. So until next time, guys, see you later. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.